Welcome to the Dream Big Nation podcast. In this show, veteran recruiter, wealth mentor, and entrepreneur, Lisa Williams, will take you on a journey of exploration and discovery to learn what it takes to hire yourself. Are you ready to dream big and grow into the person you're meant to become? If so, you're in for a treat. And now, here is your host, Lisa Williams. Hello, friends. Welcome back to our Dream Big Nation podcast. I am so excited to finally be sharing the story of my new friend, Miss Eileen Harbach. Eileen and I, I think we realized, we figured out, we, we actually started chatting way back in January or February, and we're finally getting to record this interview. So I'm super excited. Eileen is the author of Breathe, which is the story of her and her husband and her son, Zach, and his survival story through the power of prayer. This story went viral through seven countries when she was actually going through it in the thick of it through her blog. And she's finally actually taken some advice from her very good friend, a fellow author, Miss Didi Cox, and got this story out to the public. So we're super excited to have you, Eileen. Welcome. Thank you. Very glad to be here. Absolutely. So, hey, let's just get right into it. You shared with me, and I'd love for you to share with our listeners about what happened with Zach, you know, a thumbnail sketch and, you know, what what you were told by the doctors and then ultimately what ended up happening uh, through his story. Sure. So my story is every parent's worst nightmare that phone call you get in the middle of the night saying that your child is in trouble. We received that phone call from Jefferson County Police at about 4 a.m. on July 8, 2005. They told us our son had been in a serious car accident and had been stat flighted to University Hospital and that we needed to get there right away. When we arrived, we were told that they didn't know what internal injuries he had but he did have a very serious traumatic brain injury and they didn't expect him to live. So when we saw him, nothing can prepare you for what you see on a brain injury. I immediately did the only thing I knew how. I started to pray and it was the 23rd Psalm that I prayed over and over again. He ended up having to have his right bone flap removed so that his brain could swell outside of his head. He was in a coma for uh, quite a while in neuro ICU at university for 21 days. He underwent multiple surgeries. He had a trach and a G2 placed and he struggled to even hold his head up. He couldn't talk. The only thing he could do was give a thumbs up, wiggle his toe, and sometimes stick his tongue out. Zach was was 15 at the time, is that right? 15. It was about two months before his 16th birthday. Okay. It was between his junior or his sophomore and junior year of high school. It was the summer between them. Right. So he then, we, it was, you know, One miracle after another, one answered prayer. We had people all over the world praying for him, and it's not an exaggeration. You know, seven different countries. Before it was over, it was 11 different countries. 
and we saw many miracles happen, things that the doctors said were impossible. And finally, I was able to get him into Fraser Rehab. He didn't meet their criteria, but they accepted him anyway. Another thing that the doctor said was going to be impossible. They won't take him. And when he got to Fraser Rehab, he could And was do that nothing. because, Eileen, was that because he literally, like, he was just such a, a lost cause, quote unquote, lost? So brain injuries are graded on a rancho cognitive scale. And Frazier Rehab wants you to be a four. My insurance company wanted him to be a five, which means able to participate in therapy, able to move some on his own, able to respond to all verbal commands, able to communicate. Zach was a rancho two. And they said, they'll never accept him. They'll never accept him. They told me I needed to look for a nursing home, that that's where he needed to go. As you could imagine, sending your 15-year-old son to a nursing home where I viewed as a place where people go to wait to die was not what I was holding out for. And so we were surrounded by prayer warriors, and we got him into Fraser Rehab. When he got there, he couldn't walk, talk, do nothing. He had right side neglect. So from midline to the right, he didn't recognize that world at all. It didn't exist. So he was literally like this. He wouldn't use his right arm because that side of his body didn't exist to him. Or his wasn't brain. Respond, wasn't responding. Yeah. Yeah. And he learned at Fraser Rehab how to swallow. That was the first task. How to walk, talk, dress himself, feed himself, brush his teeth, eventually read, do very basic math, tell time. He was an honor roll student, straight right. A honor roll student. So this right. was really uh, a big challenge, very different for us. He was, he, he had a number of things happen at Fraser Rehab that we had to be prayed through. <laughs> and he was there 66 days. And when he left there, he was singing and dancing. Wow. And they were all amazed. His neurosurgeon uh, couldn't believe it. His neuropsychologist says that he's one in a million. He actually encouraged me to write the book. Because he says that people need to be given hope and encouragement in the face of traumatic brain injury. They, they need to understand that it's not over. Yeah. Well, and they also, you know, the story is so reminiscent of something that happened in my life. I had a preemie. And um, the things that you just mentioned, you know, my, my Cameron was was two pounds, 14 ounces, and he had to learn to breathe and he had to learn to swallow and he had to learn to, you know, all the things that we, we teach our kiddos, he had to learn. And Zach just had to learn it again, basically. Right. And And I say, I say that I kind of, I got to raise him up as a baby again, the second time, Uh, but it it happened really fast. (laughs) Right, right. 
So let's, you know, I, you said a couple of things that really struck me the first time we met, because I, I think a lot of times when parents go through something like this, there can be, it can be a very, a thing that brings people together. And then it can also really, couples can struggle. You, you mentioned something about your, your husband is a fixer as a lot of men are. And, and it was, it was, you almost saw a physical collapse of him at one point. And, you know, I love that the analogy of when, you know, one, one is strong, the other maybe is a little weaker and you, you balance one another. Talk, talk to us about that balance, you know, with you and your husband. Scott was the one that answered the phone call and, Mm -hmm. you know, he wakes me up and says, you know, we've got to get to the hospital. He was in control, you know, rushing me out. We had to have my sister-in-law who lived down the street come down and stay with our three younger children. He's in control the whole way there. You know, we get in there and he's talking to the doctors. And until he saw him, when they took us back into the emergency room and they pulled that curtain away. Scott realized he couldn't fix it, and he literally banged his fist against the wall and crumbled to the floor, weeping. He he kind of just lost it, and at that point, I was the one that took control. You know, I, I was torn between trying to comfort my husband, at the same time, trying to pray over Zach, and from that time on, I was the one that signed all the paperwork, communicated with the doctors. Now, Scott's job wasn't easy. He had to go home and care for three younger children, two little girls, six and nine, and our other son, 12. And, you know, I was always the one as the mom who helped with homework. Now, he was having to do that. You know, he was having to try to learn how to put little girls' hair into ponytails and deal with all of their, you know, drama over picking out clothes. And it was a very hard task for him as well. And I have to admit that sometimes I wasn't as patient with him as I should have been. Traumatic brain injuries can really tear families apart. And we were warned at Fraser Rehab, you know, they uh, have a neuropsychologist on staff. And that's not just for the patient, it's for the whole family. And she warned us that a large number of couples get divorced when they go through something like this. So that kind of put us on high alert. And, you know, we were stubborn. It wasn't going to happen to us. But yeah. we, we had definitely had our moments, you know. I would stay, I arrived, I couldn't sleep there. There was a bed for me, but I couldn't sleep because yeah. they would come in every couple of hours and then they would do rounds and, and, you know, flash the lights on. And so I would go home. I would arrive there at seven o'clock in the morning. So I was there to see the doctors when they had rounds and I would stay till about midnight Mm-hmm. Till Zach was asleep, and I finished updating my blog. Yeah, and then when I got home, many times Scott would be waiting up for me. He'd be sitting out on our deck, 
I could tell that he had been crying and he would want to talk to me. And I was tired. Yeah. And all I wanted to do was go to bed so I could get some sleep and get up and get back to the hospital. And I frequently brushed him aside. Fortunately, he knew that I was playing a major role in Zach's recovery and he forgave me. But we did definitely have our moments. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. They, we actually had the same statistics are proven with preemies who would even know. And I, I suppose it would probably go with any, any parents that are facing, you know, life, life threatening potential things with their children. I can just imagine, you know, really whatever happens to parents and thinking about losing our kiddos. So you, you know, you really played a role of caregiver for Zach, how much do you think his recovery has to do with the advocacy you played in his life and like getting him into Frasier and, you know, things like that? Well, his neuropsychologist describes it as there was no door that I wouldn't bust through to see that he got the care that he needed. But first I attribute his recovery to prayer and God. He, there was a point when one of the neurosurgeons, I was devastated because I tried to get Zach transferred to Cozair Children's Hospital and they refused him as a patient. And again, the, the hospital kept telling me, you need to look for a nursing home. And I was in his room one evening and I was, had been crying and one of the neurosurgeons came in and I was telling him we need to get back into Frazier. You know, I had been doing my research and, you know, when you sit in the hospital all the time, I was doing a lot of reading and a lot of research. Some of that was not real beneficial because it scared me to death. (laughs) But it also made me realize how important it was to be an advocate for him. And so I was crying and explaining to this doctor, we need to get him, get him into Frazier. And he looked at me and spread his arms out, gesturing at that, laying in bed, saying, you need to get used to the idea that this is all you're ever going to have. When Zach was doing nothing. and I'll never forget at that moment, I fell on my knees crying and begged God. And and at that point, that's when I totally relinquished control to him. I said, I know I can't do it. The neurosurgeons can't do it. Honestly, Frazier Rehab can't do it. You are the only one that can make this happen. And once I turned it over to God, I started seeing so many just miraculous things happen. And right. we had so many God moments, you know, he, where he spoke to me. I literally heard him audit, wanted to look around to see if anybody else could hear him. Um, right. Zach had his moments at Fraser Rehab. That's all detailed in the book where he told us that he met God. Uh, at one point, he told us that God showed him the world. So he doesn't remember any of that now. One of the blessings with a traumatic brain injury is they never remember the accident. They don't remember their time in the hospital. He doesn't remember any of his pain. He doesn't remember 
Fraser Rehab. He was, when he was released from Fraser Rehab, after he went back to University Hospital and had his bone flap put back on, he then went to Fraser as an outpatient for eight months. That's where he really learned how to read and write again and do, you know, what we consider simple tasks, but more complicated things for him, like the right order of making a sandwich. You know, and, and cooking, they, they taught him how to cook. They would take him to the grocery store with the shopping list and have him find these items. And then they would go back to Frazier and he would cook. He never did that after he came home. <laughs> I was going to say, he's probably more prepared than any 15-year-old yeah. <laughs> when it comes to that, when he went to college and things like that. So, uh, oh my goodness, I I am just marveling at the comment that that neurosurgeon made and how many times do families get that news and they don't fall on their knees and, and act out of act in faith and, and just rely on faith coupled with that advocacy that I am certain, you know, you really, I think in that moment, put on the true armor of God and yeah. went to war, it sounds like, really, because there it sounds like there were some, you know, some control that you were still trying to keep until Absolutely. that point, right? Yeah, I know it's so common for us. So I am curious, did Zach ever meet that neurosurgeon that said that? Absolutely. When Zach came back to University Hospital, when he was released from Frazier to have his bone flap put back on, that neurosurgeon did the procedure. And I'll never forget when we walked, because he walked into the hospital and he saw him and he was just like, what deficits does he have? And he was just blown away. He has since, so he was a, university is a teaching hospital. So he wasn't the one that removed his soul. That doctor had since moved on and was at another hospital. He was a first, this doctor was a first year resident there and was just watching all of the surgeries. And we have since come back and met with him again. And he has a whole totally different opinion of things now. That's so good to hear. I was thinking, holy cow, he's just a resident. He's just still learning. Mm -hmm. And this is the comment he, you know, he made, and I mean, it's not his fault. It's really what he was taught in yeah. reality. So let's. So while the while the book was in editing, we went back. Zach and I together, we went back and interviewed many of the people that were part of his recovery: his neurosurgeons, his PT, OT, speech nurses, some of his friends that were there every day because he had multiple visitors every day. And I would just ask them a simple question. I'd say, you know, here's that. I'd like to get your perspective of his recovery. And so that doctor got to talk to us and go on video about, you know, what he thought of Zach's recovery. And I have a website and all of those videos are on my website. And it's really interesting to see the change in after they saw Zach, you know, the change in their 
opinions of how things should be done. And we, Zach and I both are first contact volunteers for the Brain Injury Alliance of Kentucky. So when a young person is gets a traumatic brain injury, we are frequently called to go talk to the family. And, you know, a doctor can tell you what's going to happen. Nurses can tell you everything's going to be fine. Therapists can say this and that. But when you've been through it and I can sit down with them and say, I've been right where you are. I know your desperation. I know how traumatizing the whole thing is for the family. And I've been there. And, you know, I they believe me because they know that I've been in their shoes. And, mm-hmm. and I always tell them. I was told early on at Fraser Rehab by a very, very smart doctor that ran the whole Fraser program, the brain injury and spinal cord injury program, Dr. Kraft. He told me that they could never figure out why one person with a brain injury would recover and another one with similar background, similar injury wouldn't get better. And it wasn't until about 10 years ago, and now this would be 25 years ago now, that they realized family support is what made the difference. Those patients that had a family member, being an advocate, loving them back to the world, those were the patients that got better. And that really encouraged me, you know, that I was doing the right thing because I frequently would ask for a second opinion and, you know, I I carried this little notebook in my back pocket. And if I thought of a question, I would write it down because you get about five minutes with those doctors and that's it. And I would write it down. And when I saw them, I would whip that notebook out. I had all kinds of questions and, you know, I would see various numbers on his monitor and I would ask, what is this number? And what do I need it to be? And I'll never forget early on. One of the doctors asked me, why do you ask so many questions? And I told him, if I didn't ask, I wouldn't know what to pray for. And now you tell me that that number, which is a 20, needs to be a two. I can pray and have all of those people that are praying with us that are that truly believe in the power of prayer. They can be praying with me and you know, before long, I had hospital staff that would come in that would volunteer information for me because they were all on the blog. I mean, yeah. they knew that I was blogging and I I bared my soul in this blog. I yeah. told medical information on Zach. You know, I said his white count is up. We don't know why. Please pray that they can figure it out. Today, we have Mika as our nurse. You know, she really takes extra care with Zach. So I found out when we got to Frazier that the first thing those neuro ICU nurses at university did when they got to work was log on to the blog to see how Zach was doing at Frazier. And they knew that they were mentioned a lot. So everybody wanted to see, you know, she can mention me. (laughs) Oh, that makes me cry. I love that. So this is this is a wonderful way to transition to how you've gotten this book, you know, this this launch of Breathe, because 
you actually had this blog many, many years ago. This happened in 2005, was it? That right. Zach, so fast forward, I mean, all these years, you had this, your your dear friend, Didi. Didi was a guest on our podcast earlier in the year. Another awesome story. And she had just, she there was something in her that knew the story had to be told. And well, she knew Zach. Mm-hmm. She knew that I had blogged. She knew that multiple people were encouraging me back then to write a book. Right. I had stopped blogging. You know, I blogged every day for probably eight months, and then it would be every couple of days, and then it was once a week. And then after about a year, I did a couple of updates, you know, periodically, but you know, life moved on and I stopped blogging and I put that behind me. And it wasn't until Dee Dee got her first romance novel published that she really started working on me. And she said, you've got to write this book. And she had been invited to go on the Winter Story Summit, which was a cruise where they had invited a hundred authors to be mentored by various professionals and she had me submit 40,000 words to her publisher and he called me and he said I think you have a great story and we'd love to have you so I went on the cruise and I was mentored by Rosa Salazar she has written over 10,000 hours of television she's a screenwriter And I'll never forget when she sat down with me and they found out, and a couple of the other mentors, they found out that I had blogged. She said, oh, now I get it. This reads like a report. (laughs) And she said, you need to get in touch with your feelings. We don't care what those numbers are. We don't care what his ICP reading or his white count is. We want to know how those numbers make you feel. So yeah, yeah. on the way back on the plane, I tore up those 40,000 words, which basically the only thing I did was go on the blog and copy and paste and then kind of blended them together because I didn't have much time when Dee Dee told me about it to submit this 40,000 words. There was no way I could write from fresh. Right. And so I tore it up. And I started from scratch on the plane, flying back and sitting next to Dee Dee. And Dee Dee had to keep telling all the other passengers why I was crying <laughs> because yeah. I, I had to relive it. Mm-hmm. So I, I had taken tons of pictures at university. I've got this photo that is full of pictures of Zach in the hospital of his friends, of what he looked like when I first saw him. And that's another thing God did. I don't, who spoke into me to say, document this. Yeah. And I started taking pictures and, and then the blog. I mean, I had never blogged in my life. And now I was blogging and that became the bones of my book. Because yeah. 15 years later, I, I went back and I would read the blog and 
look at the pictures associated with that particular day in the blog and take myself back to that time. So when we got home from the cruise, I started writing in early March. And on the cruise, Rosa made me commit to writing for at least four hours every day. She made me commit to a date to release the book and an ending because I really didn't know how it was going to end. Yeah. Yeah. So I said that I was going to release the book on October 9th. So this was, you know, February, late February, we were on the cruise. So I thought that that'll give me enough time. October 9th, because that was the 15 year anniversary of when Zach came home from the hospital. Wow. So I thought that's going to be my release date. Yeah. And then I had to work. I have a full time job. So I would get home from work. I would lock myself in my office here and I would write till sometime 12 or one o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Very reminiscent of those days that I spent at university and Fraser Read when I was right. there. And every night for months, I would cry as I wrote mm-hmm. because literally it took me back there. I got in touch with my emotions and it was healing. And I was also able to communicate with Zach during that time. He now lives not far from us in a condo. And I would text him in a little portion, you know, I just read about this time, you know, and he always immediately would call me and want to talk about it. And, and that would even make me pour more emotions into the book. So yeah. the way the book is written, each chapter is a day. So okay. I start from when the phone rings and then the last day is the day that he comes home from the hospital. Now, it has a decent epilogue to it because, you know, he continued on and we discovered some deficits in as an outpatient that we didn't know he had and how we worked through those. And, of course, I had to be able to tell him that he went back to school. He graduated. He got his driver's license. He works full time and, you know, got a girlfriend and went to prom and all of those things that I was told he would never do. Right. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, what I love about this story, Eileen, is how you you got through it, you know, progressively. You shared, you kind of, you know, sounds like put it on the bookshelf for a bit of time. And now you're in a different phase of your life. And how often do people have that where there is, you know, there's a sequence of events, I feel, that God places in our lives. And sometimes we don't even know why we're facing this horrible thing. He, I just so believe he can use all things for good in some way, right? And this is just a brilliant, I can't wait till there's a movie made out of it. There is going to be. we're working on that. I I can imagine. That that was one of the things that was surprising to me when I went on the cruise and I met all of these people. So there was Jeff Arch. He wrote Sleepless in Seattle. Tab Murphy. He wrote uh, Gorillas in the Mist. Tarzan, multiple other um, shows, and all and 
David Kirkpatrick. He was the president of Paramount Studios and then went on to Disney. When they talked to me, they all said they saw it as a movie. And that really encouraged me. So as I wrote it, I was thinking about how it would, you know, play out. I'm not a screenwriter. I won't be writing the screenplay, but I, I really do hope that we can big, bring it to the big screen so we can reach a broader audience. Yeah. Because well, let's let's have that be the prayer focus is yes. for the the right screenwriter to be revealed, right? Exactly. Yeah. You know, because I agree, I it has to be told to a greater audience. Well, you know, it's. Sometimes I would call back as I was writing a portion. He would say things that would send chills up my spine, that Mm -hmm. he would look at it a way that I didn't even look at it. There was one time when he was at Frazier where, so he had right side neglect. He wouldn't use his right arm. He didn't recognize the world to the right. So one of the therapies for that was now he had, he was walking at this point. And he was just starting to talk, not a whole lot, but he was starting to talk. And they had him on his stomach on like a big skateboard. And he had to propel himself across the room using both arms. And it would make him use his right arm because if he just used his left arm, he'd go spinning around in circles. And they recognized he was an athlete, so he was very competitive. And so his therapist would always make everything a competition. So on this particular day, he was going to have skateboard races against his physical therapist. So they were getting started and I was called away to the door to sign some more insurance papers. And when I came back, the mood in the room was completely different. And he wasn't laughing and racing across the room. He was actually sitting in a chair and he was crying. And I walked up and I asked the therapist what happened. And she said everything was fine. He was racing and laughing. And then all of a sudden he just stopped and hung his head and started to weep. And she said that she thought maybe he ran over his fingers and she checked him out and he was okay. And so I bent down and got to eye level and checked out his hands. And I said, you know, Zach, what's wrong? And he just looked at me with tears rolling down his face and said, God showed me the world. And I'm like, what? (laughs) And he couldn't explain it. He didn't have the words yet to tell me what it was. But he just said that it wasn't good. You know, it was shaking his head. And we get in the elevator and I questioned him and he had nothing else to say about it. That night, his dad came to the hospital and wanted to talk to him. And he said, I heard that you talked to God. And Zach said, I met God. And Scott was like, you mean you dreamt that you met God? And Zach said, I met God. And then that was it. So when I was writing the book and I got to that part, Now, you've got to remember, we left on the cruise from Florida. The first cruise ship had just been quarantined for COVID, and we were getting on a cruise ship. So when we came back, 
things started to shut down. So I wrote during a pandemic, which was a blessing because I had nothing else to do. I had no distractions with, you know, all the basketball games and football games were canceled. So I had no distractions. So the night that I wrote about Zach saying that God showed me the world and crying and I called Zach and I said, wow, you know, I just read this, you know, part in the blog and I'm writing about it. You know, you said that everything was bad. And he said, well, God knew you were going to be when you were going to be writing and the world wasn't going to be good then. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, Zach. <laughs> and, you know, uh, we'll never know exactly what God showed him because Zach mm-hmm. doesn't remember any of that now. But I truly believe he met God. And yeah. I believe God had me writing it during the pandemic and writing an encouraging, inspirational story because our world really needed it. Needs it. Yep. Absolutely. And, and I, I, in the midst of all this, they need to lean on God because he never changes. It yes. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And, and he's, you know, it, it's interesting. I am so glad you said that because I feel like right now, those that are, you know, yes, it's a, it's a difficult time in our world. Yes. People are losing their jobs and their homes. And yet it's also a time of tremendous ideas and innovation and new businesses being formed. My business started during COVID. You wrote your book, you're, you're sharing it with the world. I mean, there's countless stories like that, you know? Yeah, I've just heard of Zoom before COVID. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I knew I was using Zoom, but I mean, now I, I'm like, I have Zoom fatigue and Zoom butt. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, this is amazing. I I feel like there needs to be, you know, like we need to do a poll of how many stories have been written during COVID because I think there's so many, you know, people that we all have a story and yet so many of us, I feel like, you know, we, we go through a traumatic time in our lives and we never share it. We never share it. Your stories inspired me, Eileen, to share my preemie story. You know, yeah. it really, you're, you're the second person that I've talked to this week. That's made me think, man, there's probably some people that could use a little encouragement that have a preemie, you know, Absolutely. I'm sure that there's a, maybe you could start a support group. You never know what God has planned, right? But I know he has a big plan for you and your life. And I'm so excited that I get to bring some of that story to our tribe. It's you and I, I feel like we could talk forever. We're going to have to do this again sometime. (laughs) Maybe we can go on a a cruise together sometime. And we're definitely going to be part of. Wouldn't that be fun? I, I, when I met Didi, I was like, I need to meet you. You're just lovely. And she actually encouraged me. She is a hoot. She encouraged me to connect with Michael Butler as well. And I'm, I'm actually going to be using him for my publisher as well. So uh, you and I are going to be, be in the same tribe officially, 
you know, we you're now red carpet authors together. Exactly. You're now part of our Dream Big Nation tribe and we're so, so happy. So Eileen, share with our audience, you know, where can they, like, I would love to know the website. People could go and see Zach's story and, and see that pictorial, you know, debut and coupled with where can they get the book and all that good stuff. Well, the book is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. So you just have to Google my name, Eileen Hornback, Eileen with an E, and then it'll pop up. My website is Eileen Hornback, E-I-L-E-E-N-H-O-R-N-B-A-C-K dot Weebly dot com. And when you go on my website, there's, I think, about 20 videos. And, you know, I would really encourage people to watch the videos and see the perspective from neurosurgeons, his friends, my other children, you know, the nurses and the physical therapists and just all of the people that were involved in his recovery and their different perspectives. Because his neurosurgeon was really interesting because he spoke to other residents in his. And right. he said, never give up. I know you're tired. I know you work long hours. But that one extra thing could be what makes a difference. And you could end up having an, an outcome like Zach. And, yeah. you know, a lot of people kind of changed their perspective of brain injury after they saw Zach. And not everyone recovers the way he did, you know, I've been told multiple times he's one in a million, but when we go and meet with other families, I always tell them never give up, never stop working at it. You know, there are stories of people with brain injuries 10 years after their industry, after their injury, they're suddenly able to do something that they haven't been able to do in 10 years. So we tell them, I don't believe in plateaus. I don't believe that a brain injured person gets that plateau and they're never going to get any better. I tell people when you reach a plateau, that just means you have to change something. Take the therapy outside. Use music. You know, use some other form of therapy to get them over that plateau because I think that people with a brain injury can continue to recover for many, many years. But probably the biggest thing that I would want people to know is that we underestimate God. Mm -hmm. Our prayers are too small. And we think that'll never happen. So I'm not going to ask for that. God can do immeasurably more than we could ever hope or imagine. And that's what I tell them. Don't stop having faith that God can get you through whatever you're going through, that he can see you through to complete recovery. You know, Zach is not perfect. He wasn't perfect before the accident. We wouldn't trade this Zachary for 10 of the other Zachs. And, you know, he has some deficits. He's got aphasia, which is a language disorder that makes it difficult to recall the names of common objects. He had, you know, 10, actually probably 12 months of speech therapy 
where he learned to compensate for that. So he might say in a restaurant, the waiter, he might ask the waiter for a hand wiper when he wants a napkin. A napkin, yeah. Or he might say, where's your urination room? Right. <laughs> He's looking for the bathroom. You have no problem understanding him. Most people think that he's really funny. They mm -hmm. think that he's trying to be funny. So he uses humor to cover it up, but yeah. he really can't recall those things. It doesn't impact his life. He also has a field cut, which is like a blind spot, but he's got 2020 eyesight. It's not in his eyes. It's in his brain. The brain is amazing. Oh, the brain is his so brain amazing. His brain does not yeah. perceive what his eyes see in an area about right here. About hmm. right where a parked car is when you're driving. Right. <laughs> so he had, and, and he doesn't see it as a blank spot or a black hole. His brain fills in what should logically be there. So if he's mm -hmm. looking at the sky, it fills in more sky. The problem with that is, it doesn't change as that as you're driving, that parked car is continually changing because you're driving. Not yeah. if he doesn't, he had eight months of vision therapy where he learned a scanning technique. And he just, when he drives, you know, he just has to move things out of that field cut area. So yeah. he learned to compensate for that. He has retrograde amnesia. He doesn't remember who he was before the accident. Mm -hmm. He said that he had never had a Christmas. Very hard for a mother who has been, you know, he, he turned 16 at Frazier. So when he had his first Christmas, he's 16 years old. So he'd had 16 Christmases now that he didn't remember. Interesting. But Christmas morning, he's sitting on the floor and he's opening up Christmas presents with all his siblings. When all of a sudden he looks up and he has this really strange expression on his face. And he says, I got an airsoft gun for Christmas last year. Right. Yes. And all of a sudden, memories start coming back. Not all of them, but pieces of them. So his neuropsychologist is fascinated with Zach. He's the only patient that he's ever had that has this rare form of retrograde amnesia where he doesn't remember something unless he experiences it again. So Interesting. he told me he had never seen the ocean. And I said, Zach, we've gone to Hilton Head for spring break every year since you were born. Yeah. His grandparents had a condo there. They would take him during the summer. Said, You're, you, you've been to the ocean many times. No, never been there. So as you can imagine, after Christmas, how excited we were when spring break came and yeah. we went to Hilton Head and I took him out. To, I didn't even unpack the car. You know, I left that all to Scott. I grabbed Zach by the hand. I'm running him out to the ocean and we're walking along and I'm just watching him, waiting. And, you know, 10 minutes and all of a sudden he takes off running. He goes over to where these rocks are and I catch up with him and he's like, we used to sneak over here and smoke cigarettes. Oh and my gosh. I be mad at him for that. Right. Like, yes, yes. <laughs> but, you know, he played baseball. He can never play baseball. He played basketball and football. He can never play that. So he doesn't have those memories. 
he looks at pictures of him as a football player and a baseball player, and he doesn't remember it. But the amazing thing is, is it doesn't bother him. Right, right. He doesn't care. He, he says that he is actually very happy that this happened. And is, is, oh, sorry, go ahead. He snuck out of the house. So that's how that's he right. got back. That's right. <laughs> he snuck out of the house in the middle of the night and went for a joy ride with an 18-year-old driver and three 15-year-old girls. Whoops, lost my video. And, you know, he says now, looking back, you know, he was doing bad things. And yeah. if this wouldn't have happened, it's interesting because I used to pray every night that as a parent, I would pray that my children would be caught in their disobedience so bad behavior could be corrected. And boy, did God correct Oh, I love that. I am going to, wait, say that again. I said that my children would be caught in their disobedience so bad behavior could be corrected. And so actually this accident was an answered prayer Mm -hmm. because only God knew how much discipline Zach needed. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. He, you know, gave him a traumatic brain injury and turned his life around and made him. So we were told that Zach would never have an ordinary life. And he doesn't. He has an extraordinarily grateful life. Yeah, he yeah. appreciate. He would drag me outside to look at the sunset. He would have me go outside in the snow to see the sunrise. He pointed out flowers. He, when he first came home, he called me to the window, and it had we had had a freeze, and there were some icicles on hanging off a tree in our yard, and he pointed to it. And you got to remember, he has aphasia, so he doesn't, he can't recall the names of things. And he says, what is that? And I said, that's an icicle. I love and it. he says, what are those things? And there were these sun rays coming out of the sky, hitting that icicle and causing it to melt. And he said, what are those? And I said, those are sun rays. Mm-hmm. And he says, it looks like God reaching down and touching that bicycle and I'm like oh my gosh they're <laughs> like they're god he, race let's oh, rename he it saw things. you know yeah he, he stopped and smelled the roses he still today he appreciates things so much he is the most that he's one of the most joyful people you'll ever meet mm-hmm. he rarely gets angry if he does, he gets over it quickly. You know, he's got a girlfriend that soon, I hope, becomes his wife. And How old is friends, he now? He's 31 now. He's 31. And okay. she thinks he hung the moon. She adores him. She thinks that his aphasia is hilarious. You know, it doesn't embarrass her that he can't remember. And we yeah. call something makes a funny name for something because he can't recall it. She just thinks it's hilarious. He buys her flowers every week. I love Always that. has fresh flowers. 
You need to let us know when the when the proposal is. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Eileen, who who would you have play him as a character? Uh, Do you have someone hard. in mind? <laughs> that's hard. Scott always talks about who's going to play him. <laughs> and my daughters always say, who's going to play me? <laughs> right, right. And when Zach starts it, I say, hey, we've got to find somebody willing to get their head shaved. <laughs> right, yeah. Exactly. Well, well I'm, I don't know. You know, God's going to bring those people into the story when it happens. Um, exactly. I first yeah. have to, the right screenwriter has to come along and the right producer. So, you know, I just would love to let the world hear our story and know that there is a awesome, powerful, great physician who yeah. can heal whatever ails you. If you just mm -hmm. turn it over and trust him. Absolutely. I love that. It's a perfect way to end our conversation. This has been so lovely. I'm so happy that we finally got to got to connect and hear this. And I am telling you this, I can't wait for the screenplay. And I am going to be starting to pray. And I, yes. And I, oh, yes. Let's see. Oh, and it's such a lovely cover too. I love that. So I sure. International bestseller label. I love it. So, so I got amazing. that about the first month the book was out because those videos that we did, I would post one every day leading up to the release of the book. So I generated a whole lot of excitement and interest leading up to it. So there was a lot of people anxious to excited uh, about the story it. And yeah, hope that absolutely. we get many other readers and they'll pass it on and get it to the people that really have an issue going. Particularly, you know, we we want to talk to families of traumatic brain injury survivors because mm -hmm. we think that we can help them. You can we make can a difference. With them. We can give them a lot of information and most importantly, we'll pray with them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, such a privilege to spend time with you, my dear. And to our Dream Big Nation listeners, I'm so very thankful to be part of your day. Continue to tune in. These stories are bringing inspiration from so many walks of life. And we're so very grateful that you're here with us. Blessings to you in this amazing life journey. And we will see you soon. Bye, Eileen. Bye. Thank you. Hey, Dream Big Nation community. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to learn more about working with Lisa and her team directly, go to lisawilliamsco.com and learn how to hire yourself.